Hey everyone, happy Monday. I am so excited to share today's episode with you. Today I'm joined by an Appalachian Trail through hiker that will be going by his trail name, Kitchen Sink. You will hear all about how he got his trail name and how his journey is going so far. About halfway through the interview, we did experience a bit of a lag um, when we were recording, which of course is expected when you are remotely recording a podcast from a small hiking town. So bear with us through those moments, but I think you're really going to enjoy the conversation today. before we really get into conversation, your trail name is Kitchen Sink. So I have yeah. to know the story behind this before we kind of dig into some questions here. Okay. So I, I believe the location is, um, it's, it's last year, uh, Scissors Crossing in California. Okay. It's, it's just like barren wasteland. Like there's no water. So there's this water cache and we do a, like my tramley does like a 17 mile day which was really big for us at the time yeah and uh when we got to camp we all you know were setting up and everybody was asking for different stuff and i just had plenty of everything (laughs) and uh so they they start asking for like the blender and the the washing machine and the dryer and then somebody yells out like oh you got everything but the kitchen sink and then we start screaming and then that's how i got my name That's awesome. Oh, I love that. I love hearing stories about how everybody has been named or like how some fun names come up. It's so cool seeing like how creative people are. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the main staples out here. I think it's, it's really important that you can redefine yourself through a trail name if you want to. Yeah. Do you find that when you um, are introducing yourself to other hikers that you run into, does everybody introduce themselves by their trail name first? Most of the time, uh, some people are, some people are turned off by trail names, um, but they're like first time hikers usually. Okay. They don't, they don't understand. They don't understand why people would want to use anything but their legal name. Yeah. They don't get the tradition, the sanctity behind it all. Well, very cool. Well, let's start off um, just a little more about you and your story. I'm curious how you kind of first started off and through hiking. So I was, um, I had this friend who wanted to do the PCT. Uh, It was like their dream and they wanted to do it with their dog. And I was working, I was, well, this ties into like my job and stuff. I was working at this company for seven years and I was just getting really bored of the work. It, it just wasn't really what I wanted to be doing. And I thought like a super change in my life would be really good. So I decided to go with that friend to the PCT. That friend's dog eventually got sick and had to go home. And that oh, person went home. But yeah. I continued on. And like I found that I fell in love with through hiking. Yeah. Like that, but I would have never, you know, got into it without that friend. Yeah. Did you, so like prior to that friend kind of proposing those plans, were you like, would you consider yourself a day hiker? Like, did, were you still pretty outdoorsy? I, I mean, I'd say like day hiker. Yeah. I hadn't really backpacked at all before I met my friend. So like it was pretty, pretty quick going from not really going on long hikes to instantly being exposed to that. 
Well, I love hearing that because I think a lot of people like myself included, I kind of like, I, I mean, I go on occasional day hikes here and there, but I just love following along with everybody hiking the AT. So knowing that it wasn't something that you did or, or were like, you know, crazy into prior to going on to, onto the PCT is inspiring in itself. So speaking of the PCT, you completed that in 2020. What month did you wrap that up in? I finished in September. Okay. And you so, just go right into the AT then, huh? <laughs> uh, it was, there was a few, few months off, but yeah. uh, I had definitely started planning my AT hike while I was on the PCT still. But yeah, it was, it was, uh, the, the snow definitely was starting to come down um, in September, so. I bet. Yeah. So when you had started the PCT, did you know that you were then like a few m- months after um, finishing that? Did you already know that like, you know, doing the AT pretty shortly after, was that always part of the plan or it was kind of a developing idea? It was definitely developing. I, I didn't really, I didn't really think anything of it um, in the first few weeks or months on the PCT but I definitely fell in love with through hiking. It became, it became a very expensive, addicting drug, honestly. <laughs> I bet, I bet. Yeah, actually, I had a good conversation with someone um, when I had told them I was having this conversation because I think the perception is like, oh, you can just you know grab your things and, and go out and um, it's a pretty low cost endeavor, but it is, and we'll kind of get into this too, but it, yeah. it does end up being quite expensive. Yeah, if you're if you're going, it depends on like what scale of uh, weight you want to be at. There's there's like like heavy, there's medium, and then there's like ultra light, and that is um, that's very expensive. I saw some. Um, there have been like some posts in the AT Facebook group where it's like even something as simple as just spoons or utensils, like people discuss the weight of, and I'm like, oh my gosh, imagine being like that specific about the, the weight of your pack. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it gets, uh, some people are very competitive about the weights too. So yeah. um, it can be intense conversation with a hyperlighter if you're into that stuff. Very passionate conversation, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> so you had referenced it earlier about um, leaving a job, but I think like that's a, a common question that pops up, and even some of the listeners had submitted that. So I'm curious, like, what job or career were you um, into before you're through hiking, and then is that something you had to walk away from, or um, yeah, kind of where you're at on the on the job side of things? I, yeah, I was I was working at an engineering company. Yeah, uh, I was low level management and it just wasn't, it was, it was a good job. It was a very good job. I had great benefits and stuff, but uh, it definitely became something that I didn't want to do anymore. So like I said, I wanted to change that, that aspect of my life. And I'd like to get, I'd like to get into maybe working outdoors more Yeah. Um, as opposed to working in a factory. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not really looking to get back into factory work when I get done with through hiking. I can imagine too, like once you get a taste of hiking and especially like through hiking, it would be hard to go back to something like a, like, um, I don't know, with, with less freedom, I guess. You definitely, if you're out to, to do a through hike and you, you like put, put your whole soul and body to it, it can change you definitely for the better. And 
yeah it can it can open doors that you didn't know needed to be open yeah. I guess you could say do you feel like that happened when you completed the PCT like at the end of it all did you feel like it was impactful to who you are as a person today yeah it completely changed me it was physically it was physically and emotionally and mentally challenging on every aspect Mm -hmm. Um, and I definitely needed that in my life. I think the cool part of it too is like, of course, there are many ways to feel accomplished and, and fulfilled like in a group setting. But I think something that's really cool about hiking is that it, it is like primarily on you. Like you're the one setting your goals. You're the one achieving them at the end of the day and like pushing yourself beyond what you think you can achieve. So I would imagine, and I don't mean to like put words in anyone's mouth, but I would imagine that it's, um, like you feel so proud of yourself of accomplishing kind of what you set out to do as well. That's, I mean, that, yeah, that is exactly what what most people I would say feel. Well, we'll have to get in. I know you crushed, like I was watching your YouTube videos and you crushed some insane goals. So we'll get into that in a little bit here too. Um, but I'm curious, so you are, are now actively hiking the AT. Um, I'm curious how you decided between going northbound, southbound or flip flopping. How did you kind of make the decision on your route? The Like the ATC, they... The description of a through hike is hiking from one point all the way to the other on like, like without stopping um, in a single year. So I'm not sure where flip-flopping is on the, like most people consider it. That's, that's, you know, that's a through hike. I, I wouldn't want to do that personally, but as far as northbound or southbound, if you were to go southbound, you'd have to start at like June. I think June 1st is when uh, Baxter State Park and like the trails leading to Katahdin open up. So you'd have to start later, much later in the season. And with a Nobo, you can start, like I started in February, as long as you have the right gear, you can start pretty early. And most people, now you started in February and I have read that um, a lot of people start in March. So did you intentionally try to start a little earlier than kind of the, the masses? Yeah, I, I, I definitely wanted to avoid. So there's this thing called the bubble. And I definitely tried to avoid the bubble as much as possible because it frees up, it frees up a lot of like the hostels, the hotels, and uh, sometimes resources can just be totally wiped out by people that imagine like 50 people going into a store and just totally wiping out everything that you'd need. Well, it's funny. It's funny that you mentioned that because I actually looked up where the bubble was at before this interview, because I was just curious. I'm like, oh, I wonder how far ahead he is from everybody else. And you have quite the lead right now. <laughs> really? I, I haven't looked. I, I've been speculating that they're like 300 miles behind. Yeah, I would. And I would have to check again. But because um, you're pretty well into Pennsylvania at this point, right? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm at mile um, 1149, I believe, okay. uh, in Duncannon. So that's over, I think like 1090 is halfway. Okay. So I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm halfway through Pennsylvania yet, but yeah, um, I'm decently, decently into it. Well, and that's a good point too, I guess. Um, if everybody is kind of bunched together, like you had pointed out, um, you have, you know, limited resources as far as like accommodations. And if everybody's stopping at like the few, um, 
yeah, stores or, or restaurants along the way, it kind of, um, it's like everybody competing for space at that point. <laughs> so I've been seeing like online um, shelters that I've stayed at on the trail, um, maybe had one or two people, maybe five people. Um, but online, those same shelters um, that I stayed at now have like 20, 30 or more people at them. And there's just tents everywhere. It's almost overcrowded at that number. Yeah, it, it really is. So, um, and you've been keeping um, a pretty good pace. So how, do you know how many miles, like on average you do daily? Last time I checked was probably like 300 miles ago. And that was, I think I was at like 13 miles a day average with the zeros. I'm not sure what I'm at now, but I know that when I am hiking, I'm doing about like 20 to 25 now that I'm in Pennsylvania, I've been able to do, like with that challenge, I did, you know, the 44 almost miles. Yesterday, I did 33.5 miles. The terrain gets a lot easier. Yeah, when I saw, so I had watched your video about um, the four state challenge and saw that you had logged like some really long days, which I was, I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot even imagine doing that on like flat ground. So, well, I guess before we get into it, would you explain kind of what the four state challenge is? Um, okay, so uh, on the border of West Virginia and Virginia, you, well, yeah, the border of West Virginia and Virginia um, you hike from there through um, Harper's Ferry, which leads you back into Virginia from West Virginia. Then you hike into Maryland. You hike the entire state of Maryland, and then you get into Pennsylvania. And that is the first aid challenge. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that is crazy. So what did when you had that day where you hit like more than 40 miles, what time did you have to start? Or I guess how many hours were you out on the trail? So I, I actually wanted to start at midnight or well, yeah, midnight, but, uh, I didn't, I slept through it. Um, <laughs> so I woke up at, I woke up in my normal time, which is like, I get up at like three thirty AM every day. Oh. So I got up at three and I was hiking by three thirty two AM. Oh my gosh. Um, it took me 15 hours, 37 minutes and 19 seconds to get to the um, it's called the Penmar. It's like the, the like border between Pennsylvania and Maryland. That is awesome. Yeah. Huge accomplishment. And we'll kind of talk through like where people can find you after this, but, um, everybody needs to go check out his YouTube videos because it's a really cool recap of that challenge. And it's, yeah, I can't even imagine walking like 20 miles a day. So that is just wild. <laughs> Um, between like the PCT and what you've done on the AT so far, is that the longest day that you have logged? Yeah, that, that was, um, that was definitely a record breaker. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, congrats. First of all. (laughs) Well, thank, thank you. Yeah. Um, so thinking about, yeah, just your experience so far, have there been, I know you mentioned, um, had a couple zeros, but have there been any like mishaps or any big accidents that have kind of pushed you off schedule at all? Yeah. Um, I brought the shoes when I first started hiking the AT, I brought the shoes that I finished the PCT with, and I should not have done that. They blew apart they blew apart and I had to walk like 30 miles with like my foot sticking out of one of my shoes. Oh my gosh. Um, so that was the, 
like the first one. And then I had fallen. I don't know why, but I like fell um, a few times. And that's like, anytime you fall out here with your backpack on, it's like a risk of breaking something just because you're carrying like upwards of maybe pounds on your back. So yeah, most of it has been like falls. How were, so with the shoe situation, did you like, are there resources along the trail or like stores where you're able to pretty easily get a replacement pair or like what goes into the logistics of that? (laughs) I basically, if you don't know when your shoes are going to break, you just like hope that they'll make it. But most of the time, if your shoes break, you just, you just duct tape it. Yeah. And that'll hold it for maybe a few miles. Maybe it'll hold it for longer. But the second you see that your shoe is starting to fail, you look for the next town that you can get some some shoe repair or at least a new pair of shoes. So important. There, items are, there are plenty of to the gear list duct tape. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Most people actually um, know seen trekking poles. Um, if you look at people's trekking poles, you'll see like they've taped they've taped around um, the trekking pole uh, with like a few yards of tape. That's a smart idea. I didn't think of that. That's a good one. And then as far as the fall, hopefully nothing um, like, like too, um, I guess too extreme. Any big injuries from that? I was hiking down. Um, there's this place called Mary's Rock near Luray, Virginia. I, I don't know how I fell, but I just Superman fell straight up and I scuffed up the back of my knee somehow. I got my whole shoulder. Um, and I was just all bruised and cut up. Yeah. And it's only recently healed. Oh no. Well, I'm glad it's healed and hopefully no more, no more big falls the rest of the way. I will cross my fingers for you. (laughs) Thank you. Um, as far as like the challenge piece of it goes, I know you mentioned it, you know, it kind of is all encompassing, right? It's like physically challenging, mentally, emotionally. So far on the hike, has one been kind of more prominent than the other? Has it been more like physically challenging than mentally or or what has that been like? Uh, I would say that this, the AT is way more physically challenging than the PCT. Not so much mentally because you can, there's almost a town, you know, you can get off anywhere if you're bored or lonely. And you can find hikers all the time to talk to. Um, it, yeah, it's just been a lot more physically. You go pretty much straight up and down everything here. Yeah, lots of lots of elevation change. It looks like. <laughs> Have you had um, a favorite section um, of the hike so far? Yeah, definitely. The um, <laughs> the section where I hiked the four states has been my favorite. I'm sure other people that have attempted the four states challenge may not feel that way that they're like, oh, that was the most strenuous part for me. <laughs> yeah, there was, I mean, I know uh, some of my friends just attempted it and they, uh, I think they did 38 miles and then had to stop uh, because one of their headlamps broke. Imagine going all that way and then like something goes wrong like that out of your control. That is, I mean, that's, you could always, I don't know if, if it was that important to me, I'd probably stop and like try and do it again, honestly. Yeah. You're only out there once, right? Well, I don't know. I, I suppose you could return back for round Maybe. two. 
Let's chat about, um, we talked a little bit about gear and I know you mentioned there are some people that kind of use that as a challenge, right? Like how light can I actually get my pack? You've got your ultra light backpackers, you've got lightweight, kind of where do you fit in as far as like that classification goes? I, I would definitely say that I am nowhere near ultralight. I'm carrying like 40 something pounds usually. Okay. Um, I think ultralight is like 12 pounds around like that. That's when it starts being ultralight. Maybe even, I don't know. I know people that have like 20 pound packs and I have no idea how they do it, honestly. Cause you have, I mean, like you still need a lot of your essentials to have. If you do have um, nights on the trail, it's not like every night it, there's conveniently a hostel or a town place. So um, I would imagine like it would be extremely challenging to get as low as 12, like 12 almost sounds insane. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's, I mean, I'm carrying a bunch of gear right now for colder weather because it's still pretty chilly out here, which, which kind of makes it more difficult to be ultra light out here. But some people are still pulling off really light packs, and I, I don't know. I don't know how they do it. it. It's tough. It's tough cookies out here. And it's still pretty rainy, right? Like, I, I've um, kind of been checking weather, and it looks like you guys have still had a good amount of rainy days. Yeah, just until, uh, just, just until what was it, like yesterday or the day before, it, it had rained like three or four days in a row. It was honestly terrible. It was awful. It was cold. It sleeted. It, when it does that, you just don't, I mean, you obviously have to hike through it unless you can find a hostel. It can be pretty miserable hiking in the rain for that long. Yeah, especially with all the elevation change, I would imagine that some places get pretty slippery or like especially in kind of the rocky areas would not be ideal. Yeah, a lot of the moss on the rocks makes it like soap, like as slippery as soap. So you have to, that's that's one of the reasons why I've, I've recently fallen. Because everything's so mossy and Ugh. as far as so thinking about your gear, as far as um, like what you have decided to pack, like what few items have you found to be kind of the most important so far or like your your most essential um, pieces that you have? So I brought out these like Walmart gloves that have I don't know. It's like they have like a wool on the inside, but they dip them in silicone or something. So they're 100% waterproof as long as you don't get water inside of them. Um, those have been, they're like dish gloves, but like with a lining on the inside. And those have been so important to me just to keep the hands like from pruning up. The other one is, I didn't think I'd ever need it, but a sleeping bag liner that has made all the difference when it's been cold at night. Yeah, I bet. Also, uh, uh, an extra pair of socks. Like I only carried two pair on the PCT and I'm carrying three pair right now. Just, one just for sleeping, which I never did. It's probably nice to have like just knowing that you have a dry pair to change into at night versus like if you if it is a rainy day and it's muddy and it's like you get all wet, then you'd have to, I don't know, figure out a way to dry that in rainy conditions. So I'm sure it's comforting knowing like, okay, once I, I call it a day, I at least have a dry pair to change into. <laughs> Knowing that you have dry clothes is definitely like a, a morale booster at night. Yeah, I would imagine so. As I know, it's um, it, it's been like a hot topic as far as whether people should actually pack bear spray when they hike the AT. Is that something that you have brought along? No, I 
I did research on like how many people get attacked by black bears out here, and the the number is so drastically low that I just I I think it's more of like a a fear thing that you know we've just been told told to be afraid of bears, mm-hmm. um, but they're definitely way more afraid of us than we are of them. I think I just think that uh, bear spray is a good way to make them more angry. They're probably just as surprised um, when they see you as you would be if you see them on the trail. Definitely. Like thinking about other things that you carry with you, um, how much water do you carry with you at a time? I know it's kind of like hit or miss as far as water sources go, um, but what's kind of your like general rule of thumb? Normally, I mean, my max carry carry um, weight for like the, the water or whatever is... I can carry up to three liters. I don't really see any reason to carry more than that. And most of the time I'm actually only carrying like a liter and a half because there's so many water sources out here. And when you say that um, there are water sources on the trail, is that primarily at shelters or do you mean like usually at at, um, like different points on the trail, there's like a um, running stream too? Both. There's most of the shelters were built, um, with a spring near them or they made a spring near them. Uh, and the trail, I'm not sure if they purposely made it go near all the water sources, mm-hmm. but uh, there's definitely a, uh, a bunch of just like, you cross over water all the time on the AT. Okay, I, I bet you, or at least from what I've heard, that's um, very different than the PCT. Is that a correct assumption? <laughs> yeah, the first, the first 700 miles of the PCT is desert. And it is extremely difficult water-wise because uh, you have to, I carried up to six liters on the PCT. I think about all the weight that adds to, like in addition to, um, you know, like you said, if you have 30, 40 pounds um, and you have, you know, as you have to carry more water in some spots, it's just like a large amount of weight that's added at different points. You'd always, well, at least I would always check to see what the elevation was. Uh, between the next water source to see you'd you'd be calculating like how much water can I get by with and not be overweight for this hill yeah I bet um gear is definitely um you know something that you can plan ahead of time but I know some of the accommodations or um shelters that you come across have to be planned to some extent in advance so I am curious like how do you plan ahead for hostels or or like what towns you'll run into are are you calling places and seeing if they're available or what's kind of the best approach uh i usually call uh two days about two days um, ahead of time to find out if the hostel or the hotel or whatever place i'm going to stay at um has for me um and that gives me enough time to either find another place or find a shuttle to get me someplace or uh, possibly even like see if I can make it to the next uh, location um, as opposed to staying in a, a town. Maybe I'll go to, I don't know, maybe the next shelter instead. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You, you can sometimes, you can sometimes play it out a day beforehand, but um, like if you were in the bubble, I'm not sure how that would work. That, that just sounds terrifying to me. <laughs> 
Yeah, I know. Um, I know you are well ahead of them, but is it like a known um, issue in, in some areas to only have limited shelter? Like, does it get pretty competitive in, in some spots um, for people trying to find accommodations? Yeah, there's been a few places where I'm like, oh, I can't wait to get to town. And then I'll call like two or three hotels and they'll all be booked. Oh, wow. Um, that happened. That almost happened in Gatlinburg, which is in the Smokies. Cause it was, uh, it was spring break, I think. Oh. <laughs> and I, I almost wasn't able to find a hotel in Gatlinburg. Yeah. I guess one thing that I haven't thought of, um, either is it's not just through hikers that are out on the AT right now. You also have, yeah, spring break. Maybe you have, um, people that get to work remote due to crazy COVID times and are, are using that, um, you know, to get outdoors a little more. So I forget that it's, it's not just through hikers competing with through hikers, but lots of other people that could be vacationing and kind of going on section hikes as well. Yeah, they can. I mean, that's, that's also another big part of the planning is, um, you, you tend to lose time out here. You don't, you don't really remember what day it is most of the time. So you'll be, you'll be thinking you'll be fine, but then you realize it's, it's Friday or Saturday and everything that you planned is now out the window because, you know, X, Y, or Z is happening and it's all like taken up by a bunch of bikers or a bunch of skiers or whatever, whoever's in the area. Does it, have you found most of the hostels, um, that you have stayed at, do, does it tend to primarily be hikers or, um, is there kind of like a, I don't know, a, um, like regular go-to spots in the AT hiking community? Yeah. Most, most of the hostels I've been to has, have been other hikers, but, uh, a lot of the hotels that I've tried to book, um, they've been like a mix of both. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes you can get lucky and one of your friends will be booking a hotel room and you could just jump in there, um, in their room. That's nice. Yeah. Have you, um, heard of any people just like residents in the area? Does any, or like any families open up their homes for hikers? I've seen that. I've seen that happen. Um, and since I've been putting myself out online more, I've had people talk to me online about, Hey, if you're in the area and need any help, uh, reach out to us. And that's been, that's been wonderful. Um, and I hope that I'm hoping that they extend that to other people, not just people that are super active online, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's neat how, um, the communities around the AT really kick in and, and we'll kind of talk about, um, like what you guys call trail magic and trail angels. Um, but I think it's really cool how it almost becomes, you know, just part of the community to support the hikers that are, are going through that area. It's almost like a, it's definitely like a culture. Uh, and these people that do, well, trail magic, they're, they're just happy helping us, which is, it's really weird that somebody can give so much and receive so little because normally it's, it's not like that. And I, I think it is, you know, something to be said about, the hiking community and yeah, areas that the AT passes through, but it's almost like you see it more there than you even see it in regular life. Like you do not see people helping out each other so selflessly, like outside of that. And then when I 
have seen like on some blogs, like what people do and how much they go out of their way to help others. It's just kind of like, oh, why can't we do that in all areas of life? <laughs> yeah, it's it's very strange that it's only in, it's pretty much only in the through hiking community. Mm-hmm. I think, um, I think too, like you probably get some people that, um, you know, have hiked previously, or maybe it is, it's like a goal of theirs, but they haven't done it yet that still want to be involved to some extent and kind of that's their avenue of doing so. Yeah, there's, there's definitely some, there's definitely some uh, uh, people that live vicariously through us. Yeah, I bet. I guess circling back, I have one more question just about like shelters and accommodations. When you are on the trail um, and, you know, do you stay overnight along the way? What have the shelters been like? Are they are they pretty reliable? Do they have a covering or like what are some of the the AT built shelters? So with each state, it changes. Um, I know in uh, in the Smokies, the shelters are built very differently than most other shelters. They always have like a fireplace in them and they're all pretty big because you're like mandated to only stay at these shelters. But some of them, some of them will be like, they'll have holes and tape on the inside of them so that like the the water won't drip on you when it's raining, (laughs) but it happens anyway. Um, Most of the, most of the shelters are, are in good condition. Um, or have been rebuilt in the last few years. And how many people usually fit in one of the shelters or like, I guess, near one of the shelters? Most of them are rated for eight, eight, six to eight people. But you can definitely, if you have a good, if you have a good family, or if you know the people, you can stuff 10, 10 or more people in these, in these smaller shelters. Yeah, just um, like further incentive to kind of beat the bubble on the trail. So obviously you still have um, quite a ways to go, but as far as what your experience has been like so far, how do you think it compares to the PCT or like what have been the biggest differences between um, hiking the PCT and now hiking the AT? Uh, the biggest, one of the biggest differences has been, I mean, it, it kind of go coincides with COVID and the location of the trails. Uh, there was a lot less people um, on the PCT, uh, and that was good and bad in its own ways. But uh, I've liked being definitely in front of the bubble because there's way less people. So I kind of miss that from the PCT having having to more rely on myself for uh, entertainment and and all that stuff. Are there more frequent um, like trail towns on the AT than there is in, in, at the, or along the PCT? Yeah, there's, you can get off anywhere on the AT and find a shuttle or, or something to get you back into a town that's maybe 20 miles away or, or even closer most of the time. Okay. We will have to circle back with you after you complete the AT and kind of get your final thoughts on how everything wrapped up. And if you had to do one again, which one you would repeat. So there's a a question you can ponder on the next half of the hike. (laughs) All right. That'd be awesome. So one thing that I did um, kind of leading into this episode, I did put out a question um, to our listeners, um, just asking them um, what they would want to hear from you or, or what questions they had. So I do have um, some of those listed out, but the first one is, um, do you need a permit um, to hike the AT? 
Um, okay, so a lot of people are actually wondering that um, on the groups too. From what I can see, there's three different places where you need to get permits, two of which are free. The one that, uh, the one that costs money is the Smokies permit. And uh, that's like, I think it was 10 or 11 bucks, but you need that to go into the Smokies. And then your next permit that you get is free, and that's to go into the Shenandoah. And then your final permit is to, uh, to camp at Baxter State Park, which is Katahdin. Okay. And are all of those, do you get those ahead of time or kind of like pre-hike or is that something you kind of figure out along the way? Uh, the, one, the one for Baxter, you get at, um, you get it right at Baxter State Park and you don't have to plan for it. The only issue with that one is they only give out a certain number every year. Mm. With the Shenandoahs, you just walk up to the station that's right on the AT and you just fill out a piece of paper and put it in a slot. Yeah, and then the one with the, I would say that the, the hardest one is the, um, the Smokies permit. You have to go online and print, you have to pay and then print it out. So you have to find a location to do that. I think you can do it like a month beforehand, but I did it um, at the NOC, which is uh, right before the Smokies. I can imagine um, like it would be a little overwhelming for someone that has never gone through all the logistics of, okay, like what does it take to hike the AT? Like there are permits on top of like planning the gear and the restocks and the accommodations and um, shuttles and transportation. So it's, it's a lot to plan out. I would, I would say that most of the stuff can be done while you're hiking though. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. a good tip. Another question um, that someone had asked, and we kind of had talked about this earlier too, about how, you know, it really does um, end up costing a good amount of money to be prepared for a a through hike. Um, But how much money would you say you need to save up um, in order to hike the AT or or what would be a range that you often hear from others? Um, I would say uh, the amount, it would be like six grand to comfortably hike the AT. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Would you say, is that um, like including all of, all of the gear? Depending on what you have already. Um, if you needed to buy gear, then maybe depending on if you, if you can get like a, a good REI garage or used gear, you could probably with um, maybe six, 6,750, like maybe $750 on gear. I've met people that have gotten by with less, but they've, they've actually been experienced hikers um, that know what they're doing um, as far as resupplies and like what they're, where they're staying and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Would you say a majority um, of the cost comes from having to pay for accommodations? Is that a good chunk of it? Yeah, I, I'd say that's, um, if you can't stay at a hostel, which is usually 20 to $30, um, you're going to be paying 60, 60 and up at least. Yeah. I've also heard that it gets a little more expensive the more north you go. Is that true? I, I'm not sure about hostels up north, okay. um, but I would say I'm, I'm from New Hampshire. And I would, I would say that a lot of the um, hotels around the north are overpriced. Yeah, that's good to know. I did not know it was that um, that high as far as cost goes. So that's a good heads up. 
the other another question that um I got was do you ever get bored or lonely when you're hiking uh all all of the time I get bored (laughs) um it's 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 tragic honestly how bored I am and I've had I've had people uh get angry at me online because I'm telling them the truth that a lot of through hikers get bored while they're hiking. And that's, that's just a fact. Usually Mm -hmm. Uh, it's hard to stay entertained when you're walking through, they call it the green tunnel. It's, It's hard to stay entertained. Yeah. And I think that it's just human nature too. People can be so negative online and like so judgmental, but I think it's, it's just, yeah, human nature. You're hiking for hours and hours. Like you had mentioned, you had one day where you are actively hiking for a 15 hour period. Like you're bound to get a little bored during that time. Yeah. Thankfully, like I have Spotify, but not everybody can, can have like a, a music like that but it definitely helps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you at any point so far, has there ever been an opportunity to walk with someone that's kind of going at the same pace or um, is kind of tackling the same section as you are during a day? Yeah, I actually had for the the first hundred something miles, I had like a tramley as we call it. Um, It was me and four others. And we, we were hiking pretty much the same speed for a good section, but then, um, I started to get into like waking up earlier and doing more miles and they, they weren't, they weren't ready for that yet. So I had to leave them. It's a a good variety. Do you do some with friends, do some on your own? Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a good point. And I'm glad it's, you know, it's an honest account, right? Like, you know, some days may be a little, little boring and lonely. Yeah. But you, you can thank, thankfully we do have, um, the internet and social media and, um, anytime that I, I miss them, I can just, I reach out. We have a group online that we talk still. So I reach out to talk to them all the time. That's awesome. The next question is what are your go-to meals on the trail? So I, I would say that I'm not like the typical through hiker when it comes to meals. Cause I, <laughs> I only eat cliff bars and nature valley bars that is that is like my whole resupply I think some people would be very excited to hear that though I think people will be like okay perfect I can just fill my pack with as many cliff bars nature valley bars and granola bars and I'll be good to go (laughs) yeah I, I definitely take um vitamins though to make up for the stuff that I'm not getting That's a good point too. I think, um, and I had seen some people do um, like a drink mix as well. I've seen it is kind of a common thing um, that some people will incorporate. Yeah. Those are, I think those are mostly um, some people do like the green energy things where it's like you get all your uh, vegetables while you're drinking. And then some people do, I I do a ton of electrolytes because you're, you're sweating so much out here. Well, that actually, that brings us into a good next question, because I I noticed um, some people have been generous and have put some Gatorades out on on the trail so far. Uh, But what are some other examples of trail magic that you've gotten? So my most recent trail magic was, uh, I posted a picture of it, but uh, it was those Gatorades that, like full Gatorades, large Gatorades left in a stream in the middle of nowhere. And then I just, I don't know how they brought all those Gatorades out there, but it was an entire stream full of Gatorades. 
That is awesome. I can't even imagine like walking past that and just thinking like, oh my gosh, an ice cold Gatorade is just waiting for me. <laughs> it was perfect. Yeah. Any other, has, have there been any other um, trail magic moments so far? In the beginning, there's this guy that, uh, that drives up and down the trails and he provides trail magic to people um, for free. Uh, and he just like cooks this massive breakfast or, or lunch for the, for the hikers that roll in. And I was able to get the tail end of one of those. Um, I think it was at uh, Gooch Gap. Um, it, it was at the very beginning of the trail. But uh, yeah, it, it's what he does. It was called Fresh Grounds, but he's a he's a, a well-known uh, trail magic guy. That if it's like a like a rite of passage, I guess, to some people to get his trail magic. That's awesome. Well, hopefully, some other opportunities or, or some trail magic comes up um, on the second half here too. I've got two more questions um, for you. Um, do you need to plan all of your resupplies ahead of time? So is that something that you kind of book out or map out in advance? That's on a personal preference. If you were to do that, uh, you can save, you can uh, save a lot of money. But sometimes, depending on the post office or wherever you send these packages, it, you can get you get the food and you might not even want to eat that food anymore. Mm-hmm. So it, it, I, I personally like to um, just buy as I go at like a Walmart or a convenience store sometimes all the stuff that I need. But there are tons of people out here that send entire resupplies the entire way. To your point, you know, you might be really craving something on the trail and then you have the flexibility to then stock up on that item if you want. Yeah. The last question I have, and I, I am sure this can be kind of broad and there, I'm sure there are plenty of different answers, but what's a good starting point for new hikers? So if there is someone that, um, you know, really wants to hike the AT and has a goal of doing so, where what would you recommend they do to kind of get started or comfortable with that? So I, I <laughs> that's a, that's a, a definitely a great question. I think that if you can, if you can go out, find your local campground, find your local safe area to exercise in, find out where you can backpack and get acclimated with hiking with a backpack, getting a fitted backpack, have somebody help you find that backpack and then try it out. Like make sure that it is right for you as you're training, like put weights in your bag if you have to get, get as much experience as you can uh, around your your current setting and then move up in difficulty, uh, maybe in weight or, or in distance, make sure that your, uh, your feet can handle the shoes that you're wearing. Uh, make sure that you have the right shoes, practice stretching, definitely practice stretching and drinking a lot of water. But other than that, uh, if you've, if you've just done hikes and backpack a little bit, uh, you can start you can start anywhere on the AT. Yeah, those are awesome tips. I think, and hopefully after this episode, some people are thinking about it or considering it too. So who knows, that may have inspired a, a good group of people to kind of find some gear and get outdoors this summer. I hope so. I, I uh, They say that the AT is too overpopulated, but I don't think there's really a, a number that is too much. I think that everyone deserves uh, to be outside. Absolutely. And I know there are, I mean, tons of different views and opinions out there over, um, 
you know, the outdoors becoming a little overpopulated right now, but I think as many people, um, you know, that can get out and enjoy being outdoors instead of staying inside or like being consumed by technology is always a positive. Especially with quarantine, having us stuck inside, um, the, the option to get outside is a, uh, is, is more powerful than ever, I think. Yeah, so many good uh, nuggets of information here. And and hopefully we do get a chance to um, speak again, kind of once you wrap up your hike. But wondering if you could share where people can find you. So if people are interested in kind of following along um, on your journey on your hike, where they can find you and hear a little more about how it's going. Yeah, so if if anyone wants to follow along um, on YouTube or Instagram, Call me kitchen sink. Uh, even if you have any questions, I don't mind um, people shooting me messages or leaving comments. Um, I have no issues uh, answering questions from people if, if that's if that's what they need. Yeah, and that's how we got connected. Just uh, random outreach on Instagram. So everybody, feel free to to send questions his way. And um, the YouTube videos I have found to be um, really entertaining and just kind of getting updates on where you're at and um, what the experience has been. So hopefully other people check that out as well. Yeah, that'll be super cool. I I also try and make them kind of funny. So yes, I love your sense of humor. And you're always so positive, too. So I'm sure you have like, some frustrating days, but it it doesn't show at least yet. You're always, you know, very optimistic about um, the day, which is awesome. Yeah. Cool. Any other, I guess, parting words before we wrap up? I just want to say thank you for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.